0: Welcome to All The Things, a podcast for moms seeking an inspired life. Hi, I'm your host, Lisa Chin. I'm a writer and a coach, and my most passionate truth is that the world needs the real you. That's why I created this podcast, to discover all the things that make us who we are, because the better we understand ourselves, the more good we can do in the world. So let's do that together. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode with Joanna Bennett. And um, I'd like to just give a quick introduction. Joanna is a full-time working mother of two wonderful humans, two goofy dogs, four pensive hens, and a fuzzy tarantula. (laughs) I love that. She is also an avid reader, an insatiable learner, and a self-acknowledged survivor. She is a writer and account manager at O'Brien Communications Group, a columnist at BizCath Catalyst 360, at Biz Catalyst 360, and a committee volunteer for the Center for Safe Futures. Joanna, thanks for joining us today. Hello, thanks for having me. <laughs> um, and I'm really excited for this conversation, um, just to kind of give a little bit of orientation to the listener. Uh, you and I know each other from uh, way back. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I actually knew you in middle school, but I think I knew who you were in middle school. If that makes sense, right? I don't even think um, I knew who
1: I was in middle school. So. <laughs> I knew your
0: name, and I knew I knew the face and the name. That's a good. That's a good point, right? Well, middle school. That's a whole different podcast. <laughs> Season three. <laughs> who we were in middle school? That's I'll put that under advice. <laughs> but we, um, but in high school, we shared some you know we shared the play we were in yep. the, the theater group together um, I'm trying to think what else I feel like oh you were, were you in track I did
1: not do track no, not j- I was not yeah, the athletic know. type no. <laughs> I do think there were probably some classes that we had together
0: yeah because we before. definitely knew each other more than just from yeah. and maybe chorus or something like that yeah I, don't I did know. chorus yeah so maybe that's it I don't know yeah it's kind of funny how you know you connect and then reconnect and it's like Facebook is this wonderful place yeah. sometimes.
1: Well, yeah, you got to use the tools given in the proper forms. Yes, exactly.
0: Um, I want to first acknowledge that I am speaking and, we, and podcasting from the traditional and unceded territories of the Nipmuc and Massachusetts tribes. Um, this land acknowledgement is important to me for a lot of reasons. Um, we will be talking about unlearning uh, this whole season. And part of my practice of unlearning is the land acknowledgement and really reevaluating myself as an ally to the native people of this land I so
1: that. thank you we have a lot of native american tribes in connecticut where i'm from there's casinos up here so the tribes kind of have their own land around that mm-hmm. and my uncle who lives down the street is a quarter native american oh. so he teaches wow. me a lot about that stuff
0: that's amazing i think it's just such a you know well we were in the school same school system I mean there's just so much history that's glossed over it like it's really interesting when you are learning history and like what is emphasized and what is not and what is completely completely wrong sometimes yeah. Um, Colonization. Yeah. <laughs> yeah welcome welcome to yep um all right so I want to first start this episode with what you think of the word unlearning and kind of your interpretation of that, and then we can dive into kind of what you are currently unlearning. Sure.
1: I feel like when I first hear the word unlearning, it's a little overwhelming because there's so many different avenues you can take it, Um, but I think one of the biggest things that sticks out in my mind is a lot of work that I've done with my therapist. Um, almost two years ago now, just around the whole concept of unlearning and, and maybe even relearning when you when you kind of dig into it a little bit more. Um, but just family systems is a really big thing for me. So I grew up in a kind of like a toxic family system. My father was an alcoholic and my mom was very codependent. But growing up, there was never this um, overwhelming feeling of something's wrong. It was just, how do I find a way to fit into this system? And we don't really learn the negative or positive effects of things when we're entrenched in them. Like you kind of have to take a step back and then look at it from a different perspective um, and then kind of like piece things together in a different way. So I feel like unlearning for me, that's like a big part of unlearning what a family system is and and what love really is and what really matters. And that I could actually have opinions on what really matters in my life, which kind of seems strange to say out loud. Um, But I feel like for so long I operated under um, the pretenses of what other people wanted me to do and of what I needed to do and what I was supposed to do that I never took a step inward to kind of find out what I wanted to do, which was just, which was more important than any of those other things put together. So I think for me, unlearning is a really big part of unlearning some of the mental processes that I had and then relearning things that are healthy and positive. I love that. Hey, we could just
0: put that in a book, I think. It's, it's beautiful. And, you know, what's been really interesting is, like, I think, through the, through the advent of social media and, like, being able to reconnect with people at, from high school or, or earlier, is that you had this whole story, this, like, your whole your whole family life was not visible to me as your, you know, as your classmate and partner or whatever in, in these um, other areas. So, it's just really fascinating kind of like thinking, wow, all these people that we know have this like history, this whole like part of them kind of behind, I don't want to call it facade, but it's what you see, right? Just behind there, there's these stories and things are happening below the surface that we just don't know about. And it's so like interesting to me. And I'm so thankful that I have the opportunity to reconnect with people and like learn like, oh, like this is, this might be explained like, why we had this interaction or I don't know it's really healing in a way
1: absolutely and I think too a lot of times until it becomes your past you don't even realize why you're operating on certain pretenses so I think there's a lot of things in my life that I think of and I'm like maybe that really wasn't the best choice or maybe I shouldn't have gone that way or maybe I should have recognized this red flag but you're not really going to do that until you're able to look in the rearview mirror You're not driving past something going sixty miles an hour and taking a really good account on on everything that you see. It's a little bit difficult to do that, but it's easier when you stop and play the footage again.
0: Yeah. And so, what brought you to that point where you
1: were able to stop and take a look? Then we'll just go into it. (laughs) So for me, um, I was married for, I guess, five years. Um, I was with my ex-husband for probably like ten or eleven years, and our relationship was chaotic. but it kind of mirrored my family life. So it was kind of something that I was drawn to and I thought was the right way that life should be lived. And then I had my babies and I didn't want them to live that life. So for me, it was being a mom kind of really changed that for me. Um, and seeing their reactions to the things that were going on made me stop and it was no longer about me. It it became more about them. So I think being a mom and seeing them be negatively affected by a negative environment really kind of um, forced like the, I don't know, the mama bear to come out of me and just be like, enough is enough. I don't think this is a good choice. I started reading a lot. I started doing therapy and kind of just took baby steps to unfold what the next step of my adventure was going to be, which was a whole other process of unlearning. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, and then learning how to be a good mom, because I mean, as human beings, I mean, our brains are wired to like have habits and and replicate patterns. And that's what we do because we find safety in a certain way. And then we keep doing the same thing over and over again until you realize that maybe that's not the best way. So for me, it took a therapist to kind of sit down and be like, let's talk about that again. Let's do this again. Can you tell me that one more time? And then when I would say it out loud to somebody else, who held me in a safe place. I wasn't judged for anything I said, and she was, she's an amazing woman. I'm still friends with her to this day, but she's a businesswoman, a therapist, a dean at a school, and she's someone that I looked up to, a yoga instructor. Um, She made like a child's app for meditation, so I really looked up to this woman, and for her to say she was proud of me, and for her to ask me questions, and still hold me high up, made me feel um, comfortable, and I never kind of had that maternal figure in a way, like my um my mom was I mean she was codependent and she had a lot on her plate it wasn't like she was trying to be not the best mom that she could be but she was trying to figure out and navigate her world just the way that we all kind of are and I don't think that um I don't think she realized what she did like to me as a child so having another woman that was a little bit older that would look at me and say the right things and ask the right questions and help me unpack some of my stuff was really helpful so I think that was moment when I realized I kind of had to start on learning when I started seeing my children, seeing them get negatively affected. And then I decided I was going to take a step. I didn't know where it was going or how it was going to go. But I knew if I took one step in the small, tiny step in the one direction, it would just keep going and going and going and it unfolded itself at some point.
0: Yeah. Can I ask if you can remember, recall, what made
1: you finally see a therapist? (laughs) So, um, my ex-husband had made me think that I was going crazy, that like I was the problem in our relationship. So I went and I remember the first time I sat down and talked to her and she's like, so what are you here for? Like, let's talk about it. And I'm like, well, I need to learn how to change my behavior. Cause I keep, um, my husband keeps lashing out and, and getting rageful and reacting negatively towards me because of the things I'm doing. So I need to learn how not to do these things. And she's like, Whoa, <laughs> she, and I saying it now, it makes me feel like, um, Duh, in a way, because you should, you should know that 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 your behaviors don't cause other people's emotions and reactions that they are responsible for their own. But I never knew that. That was a big thing for me to learn. And when she said that she told me I should go to like a domestic violence shelter. And I'm like, you're crazy. Like, I don't need that. That's not what this is. And she's like, just go. And I'm a people pleaser by nature. So I'm like, I'm going to check the box. I'm just going to go. And then they told me to read a book. I read the book and I was like, I can't believe this is the life that I'm living. And I didn't know for this long that this was a cycle, a pattern, behaviors that were happening regularly that I couldn't even identify because to me, it kind of seemed just like a chaotic dance as opposed to cycles that repeated themselves. Wow. (laughs) And then after doing that, I guess I first started seeing her in February. And in March, there was a really big, um, I had to call the police. I was really scared for my life. So I called the police and they came and then That's when him and I stopped living together. I moved into my aunt's house for a while. He got his own apartment. And then once that we were kind of not together, it was easier to see the patterns and it was easier to see them because now they were in text messages. So it wasn't things that I was experiencing waking up in the morning, going to sleep at night, all that kind of stuff. It was actually things I could look at and read to her. And she's like, this is what he's doing. This is what he's saying. We were able to kind of process them together. And I think that was a really big part of it for me. Yeah. Yeah. Because like you said, it, when you're in it, it,
0: you can't. And so if, you're, if you are going to sleep and waking up and you're still in that environment, you're not going to be able to take, put yourself apart from yeah. it and then be able to look at it. Wow, that is so powerful. <laughs> Amazing. Um, you talk about family systems um, and growing up in, in a dysfunctional household which informed kind of what was normal for you. So in your kind of unlearning of like what family systems are, or unlearning um, your beliefs kind of around that, like, what are you coming
1: to? So I really like reading about connection and development. and um, Dan Siegel's the one book I'm reading right now, Mindsight, which I just, I love all of it. And just learning that Like for my children, it's important to just be connecting with them. Like it's not so important to always have my kids do the right thing or we get in the bath at 645 every night. And if we eat dinner at this time and if they have a vegetable, a starch and a meat, everything's going to be fine. Like knowing that it doesn't need to be that, that rigid in a way and knowing that all they really need is connection. They need to be able to feel heard. They need to be able to feel seen. And those are all things that I didn't get when I was little. Um, And for them to feel safe, which is something that is really important for my children, especially because I know that they went through a few years of their life that they didn't feel safe. Um, So I know that that's helpful. Um, Also, just I think being a single parent was actually good in a lot of ways for me, because there was no longer that like dysfunctional dance where like, who's walking on eggshells one day, who's yelling one day, who's making sure everything's fine. And I remember I always used to say to my daughter, like, we love daddy no matter what like everything's fine we do whatever he needs for us to do and i was teaching her the same patterns that i kind of went through and like when i could recognize that and put words to that um it was really important for me to um to, to stop that and to say that it's okay that we love him but it's not okay that he does certain things and like we we were able to kind of separate where whereas we love you no matter what that's that's not That's always what I thought unconditional love was, but unconditional love isn't I love you no matter what you do to me. I also have to have unconditional love for myself and then show them what unconditional love is between the two of us. They don't need to see it happen between two other people. They need to kind of feel it themselves.
0: Mm. How do you, how are you navigating like defining what? is like how did you come to terms of like oh children need to be seen need to be heard need to be feel that love like because I feel like when you come from okay this is what it was and then and then you're kind of unlearning and you're relearning your world is wide open right you're kind of like okay it could be anything like any version of what I'm reading could be the thing how did you decide that those were your priorities
1: I think just giving myself permission to not always have those answers is really good. It's like I can read a new book and then I can get one little tidbit from there and I can read another book and I can find something else that resonates with me from there. But what I always come back to and what a lot of the books and different things that I read, I also, um, I did a summit in January called The Best Year of Your Life Summit. And it was 10 days of just different presenters that you could listen to as many or as little as you wanted. Um, But everyone that is like really super smart scientists, like psychiatrists, all that, everyone says you need mindfulness and you need to do meditation and just pause and just stop thinking and do breath work. And I feel like all those things on top of reading really helps because if I can shut the chatter of my mind down, I can really like notice my thoughts and notice my patterns and notice my emotions. And I have a thing that I say, I will not reply to things. And even when it comes to my kids, if I'm having really big emotions, like if I'm mad at them for doing something, I'm not going to get the, and punishment's not the right word, I'm not going to like have any sort of discipline in that moment. I'm going to wait until I feel better and then we're going to talk about it and we're going to figure out what we do. But I feel like it's very, it's very common to react, especially in the childhood that I grew up in and the relationship I was in. It's very common to just kind of like react, you do this and then I'm going to do this and then you're going to do this. But there's no thought So I really like to pause, even if it's a five, 10 second break in the bathroom where I just say I have to go to the bathroom and take a few deep breaths and then go back outside calmer, I think it's easier to deal with it then. Because most of the time, especially with children, they're not doing things because they're vindictive. They're not doing things because they want you to be mad at them. We think that because we're at the point in our development as adults with fully formed frontal lobes. And we're like, this is what I know if if someone was doing this after I just said not to do it they're just trying to do it to get me mad. No, <laughs> they're kids and they're trying different things and seeing what the reactions are. So to kind of take a step back from them and be like, they are not vindictive and they are not mean and they're not trying to do things to get under my skin, but they're trying to learn how to live life and I need to show them the right way. So I feel like that's helped a lot.
0: Yeah. I feel like mothering is such a, a healing process. If we, if we had that perspective of, that children are not out to get us and and to rub us the wrong way and to teach us a lesson and, and all of that stuff. But they're really there to kind of highlight to us within like what's kind of off kilter a little bit and then to heal that. And then we can hopefully not pass that along.
1: Totally.
0: Yeah. So from a parenting standpoint, I love that perspective um, and kind of your journey in, in shifting that relationship and and kind of redefining um, yourself as a mom and and interrupting those patterns that you experience, and probably generations before you have experienced, right mm-hmm. from the standpoint of like partnership, you know you mentioned um you know when we were chatting before like this whole day, whole idea of like redefining and finding love, and how that's also kind of part of your unlearning. Um, as well. Can you share a little bit more about that? Yeah, so
1: for me, it's funny, when I first, when I first left my ex-husband, I waited about a year, year and a half before I was even ready to think about another human being, or trust another human being, or feel safe with another human being, so it took me a long time, but when I did, I had this book I read, it's um, Why Does He Do That by Lundy Bancroft, and and it, it tells basically why abusive and controlling men act the way they do and different personalities and different things that you need to be wary of. And I have no concept of any of the reality that that is in black and white. So I would I had to get a checklist in there on all the things that you should. It doesn't mean if someone has one of those things that they are abusive. But if you see a few of these, you need to be careful. And any man I met in a dating app or with anything, I would check if there was one check. I was like, nope, I'm not ready for this. I don't trust myself. But I trust a checklist, so that was kind of how I started. Um, and my current boyfriend, in May, it'll be two years that we've been together. Um, he had none of the checklist, so I was like, great, right, we can go out. We can go out to dinner." And then I'm like, "We're gonna meet me in this public parking lot, and you're gonna get in my car." And like, he just <laughs> came along for the ride, and he's just like asking questions. We had a really good rapport right off the bat, um, and and it was just easy. To talk to him about just about anything so having a person that I felt comfortable with to do that and it was slow I mean we would slowly go through it he was getting divorced too I was getting divorced there was he has a son I have two kids so we did the whole wait six months before you even meet my children and there was there was a lot of steps in it but I think the best thing for me aside him not having any of the checklists (laughs) red flags It was just his ability to be open with me and talk to me. And we would talk about uncomfortable things like getting divorced. There's just a whole slew of uncomfortable things and conversations that have to happen and attorneys and the law and family law is just a whole other um, ballgame because you're making real decisions on like people's lives. And I don't think that the family court system really puts that into account. They kind of use children as like a piece of property And parental rights far outweigh like child safety and what's best for the kids. Um, So just navigating that together and being able to have conversations of things that scared me and things that scared him and how he wanted to make sure he saw his kid more often and his ex-wife was trying to make that not happen. So like it, it, it was uncomfortable to have someone that I felt like I could tell him uncomfortable things and things that weren't really my proudest moments. And he never took that as like a vulnerability, like he would just kind of talk me through it and tell me that I did the best that I could with what I had. And I mean, he's just very complimentary and not just like physical appearance wise, just like character, like he, he kind of like sees through into like my soul sometimes I feel like, and then learning to be able to trust someone like that um, and learning I was worth having someone look at me like that was a really difficult part for me, Um, but I like it. And I feel like seeing him with my kids made it even more like how he he like is able to play, like he'll play Barbie dolls with my daughter. And it's just like appropriate, like she'll be like, give me the dad doll and I'll be this one. And then she'll like, they just have like these whole conversations. And I feel like him just taking the time to do that with my kids is a, a really um, humbling thing, which he doesn't look at them as though they are his kids. Like he's not controlling or like possessive over them. But he's just like warm and loving and they get to have a male figure in their life that that isn't scared to have feelings and isn't scared to talk about that kind of stuff. So I feel like it's important for my son and for my daughter to see that and to see how I treat him and how he treats me so they get to watch that dance. Beautiful.
0: <laughs> I, I feel like there's so many of these lessons that like, why why don't we learn these much earlier on? And why do we have to subject ourselves to these scenarios? Like I, there should be someone who like at 18, when you're going off to college or something, who's like, okay, where did you come from? What were your circumstances? What do you believe about X, Y, and Z? Okay, we're going to break that out of you. Yeah, <laughs> so you can like be an adult and like actually be functioning and, and be kind of full of potential and not be limited by your past.
1: And it's just part of the human journey, though, that I feel like is beautiful, like, because we are not just going instinct to instinct and jumping through, like, we're not a wolf. We get to have these moments that we can rewire our brains. And like, we can start thinking in a different way and being a different way by just making conscious behavioral changes. And that that's it. Small changes over time. And then we get to have transformations. I feel like if someone told me at 18, like, this is bad that is good I'd be like get out of here I know what I'm doing so I feel like I had to do it in this exact order I had to learn the lesson in the hard way but I learned it so I feel like
0: yeah it's true though I mean as idealic, idealistic idealic, idealistic as like being able to prevent all of it like you can't like mm-hmm. and I think of the same thing with parenting like I can do all I can to try not to traumatize my kids and try to set them on the right path and like do all those things and I only have so much control they're they're their own people and they're going to go through their own thing and in their own time and um it's one of those very like humbling experiences of like okay we have to let go of this control that I have and just do the best that I can for myself and hopefully prevent some of passing passing on those beliefs and whatnot
1: One of the most wonderful things about kids is even in the worst circumstances and having really big traumatic situations, one of the best things is just to have someone where you can feel like you can be yourself and they're going to love you no matter what. And you can be open and honest and you don't have to fear anything or be shameful. So if you just give them that space, they're going to experience pain and they're going to experience suffering. You can't take that away from them. But if they have that space to come back to and just be like, I had a day. And then they know that you're just going to hug them and be like, okay, well, what did you learn? Did you make a mistake in any point of the way? Like And just to be able to have that open dialogue, like the most traumatic experiences don't turn into PTSD when there's someone that's listening with an empathetic ear. Mm-hmm.
0: And I love what you said before about like how, you know, having your children like don't need to eat a starch of a meat. Like, I think of like food being such a big thing, right? But like, they don't have to like, we're not, we're not trying to. Checking the box off of like eating all the right stuff is not going to produce a mentally healthy person, adult, you know, and, and that's kind of the goal is just like, they'll, they'll figure out what to eat and when to eat it and all of that stuff. And maybe that's just part of their journey too. But, um, but I love how you kind of framed that before, because I do think that a lot of parenting is all these concerns about things that we can control, right? um and if it feels like oh if we can just check off the box and we're we're good moms we're good parents and instead it's like okay can we just at the end of the day go to sleep and like be happy with one another and like maybe that's the goal instead of Mm -hmm. making sure that they eat all five food groups or however however many there are (laughs)
1: um and I think with parenting too there's a lot of parenting books and like parenting like I feel like books is the best way to put it but like ideas and do you sleep train do you not sleep train do you do this do you do that and then you have you have to pick one and you have to follow the rules and they say you let your kid cry for 10 minutes and then you go in and you set a stopwatch like that's not parenting and I feel like I didn't realize that either at first but you just have to go with your instincts you have to I mean I slept with my kids in my bed and that was a big no-no and and I wouldn't even tell the doctor because I didn't want them to yell at me and tell me what to do with my own child. And then and and then we look at our healthcare providers like that too, right? Like I'm scared to tell my doctor that my baby's sleeping in my bed when it's my baby and i am allowed to put my baby in my bed if I want to. Like, yeah, there's a risk, but I'm going to take that risk because this is what feels natural and right to me. Like having the baby sleep on their back with no pillows or blankets or anything in a crib just seems like we're not connecting and that we're not being compassionate. We're not teaching them That I'll always be there for them if they need that because when they're that little, like I said before, they're not vindictively crying in their crib. They just want someone to love them and that's what we're here for. We're here for, we're hardwired for connection. That's what makes us thrive. We never thrive in a vacuum, which is why there's so many mental health crises with the Mm -hmm. pandemic.
0: Yes, absolutely. The, um, the idea of divorce is something that I don't think I've talked to too many people about. Um, I think it's, I don't think I personally know too many people who've gone through it. Um, But it's also like, I feel like time and like the time that you have to spend with someone, you almost can't dive so deep into the, those conversations sometimes with the kids running around and stuff like that. But the idea of divorce, I mean, I, I feel like there is a very, very much a stigma around it, right? Like, you failed marriage, if you, you know, I mean, that's, <laughs> to me, I think the, the general tone of divorce, Um when, you know, I'd love to kind of hear your process in navigating that, because, like, what did you think of divorce beforehand, and what finally brought you to the point where you said, this is the step for me, and then lastly, what do you think about it
1: now? So I think, I grew up in a family that my parents were married. Um, My ex-husband grew up in a family where his parents were married. Neither one of those relationships was healthy and and warm and loving, and they both did not produce obviously healthy, warm and loving children. (laughs) Um, So for me, it was no, I was also raised Roman Catholic. So you don't get divorced. You just keep trying, you made this choice, you made this plan but I also think that when I decided to get married, I wanted to have babies. I always wanted to be a mom. That was something that was just really big for me. I was always the kid who had a million baby dolls sleeping in my bed every night. And I always wanted that, like, I always wanted that warm, loving connection with my child. Cause I always wanted to, I always, I don't know. I always have this like feeling that I could be like a cycle breaker without knowing what that was then. Like, I always kind of knew that like, I was the one that was going to make the changes in my family. I was the scapegoat. I'm not sure if you know that Um, in toxic families, there's usually like a golden child and scapegoat and I was a scapegoat. Everything was my fault. I was always blamed for everything. It could be anything. And it was my fault. I remember one time I had a bloody nose because my sister threw something at me and she was like, oh, she did it to herself. And they're like, why did you do that? (laughs) So like even that one little story, that's kind of how I grew up. So I always wanted to like not do that to my children. So there was one point where I, I used to like go out and like do the nightclub scene and all that kind of stuff right after college and in college. And I just decided it wasn't for me anymore. So I just stopped. So I just cold turkey, stopped going out and just kind of started reading and trying to like center myself. And that's when my ex-husband came along. So I was like, oh, this is the perfect time. Like I settled myself and now I'm going to find this relationship. There were red flags from like week two, but I didn't see those. And I kind of just kept going, but I wanted to be a mom. Like that was what was driving my, my push to marriage. It wasn't that I wanted to be a really good wife or like, I wanted to, like, I didn't, I didn't know what a warm, loving relationship was. So that wasn't my goal. It was just be a mom. So I, I mastered my goal. Divorce was not ever the game plan. It was never I never got married because I thought at one point I was going to get divorced. I never like stopped trying and, and decided that like this wasn't for me and I decided to cheat or I decided that I was just going to leave I was scared for my life so I left and I I still thought at that point like we're going to do couples therapy and this is going to make it all better which um if you do couples therapy with like an abusive and controlling man you if they honestly say not to do it But my therapist kind of pushed me a little bit, not pushed me, but she, I said, I wanted to do it. And she was like, if you want to do it, that's fine. But after every session within a day or two, I want you to come here so we can process what was said. So I feel like we kind of did it together in a way. And from the gate, it was just like every single session, he said things like, we should just get divorced. I don't know what's going on here. And he would just like still be mean and nasty. So there was no like us trying to come together in a loving way. So slowly, we only had five sessions together, but slowly, I'm glad I did that because I was able to see that there really was no chance of us. Like if we couldn't figure it out in the comfort of a safe third party, how are we ever going to figure it out? And I actually, I'm, I'm writing a memoir, but there was this one text message that I pulled up that I think would be good to read. So I sent a text message to one of my friends after our first session and it said, We did our first session today, he was so nasty and angry, he almost seemed clueless to his anger being my biggest issue. And he thinks I'm making up being scared because I have a master plan against him. He made comments like just rip the bandaid off when referring to us being divorced. And he said, I quote, it was her wedding, I could care less about anything but the party. And my favorite was yelling is an effective form of communication when it's necessary. So like that was session one. (laughs) So I kind of, after five of those realized that it wasn't going to work and I wrote this whole big letter that I wanted to read and tell him all the things like you know I thought we were both gonna break the cycle but it seems like I'm the only one and I need to be a good mom and I gotta do this for the kids and the therapist was like I think he's gonna take this the wrong way and I wouldn't do that she's like how about you just say you agree when he says he wants to get divorced and I'm like really? it seems so like anticlimactic. Like I want to have some conclusion. She's like, I don't think it's going to do what you think it's going to do. So I was like, okay. Fifth session within 15 minutes, he said it. And it was so shocking to me because I don't know why, but I was like, how did it come out so quickly? And it's so easy for him to say, but I'm the one sitting here, like having all these like contemplative thoughts about like how do I tell him when he's saying it every time? So I was just like, I think that's the only plan. And then it was my fault. And he's like, I can't believe you would say that. I can't believe you would do this. And it turned to, and that showed me the way that our relationship was. And I didn't want that for my kids. At first, everything's for them. In hindsight, I also learned that I didn't deserve that. I never thought about that part of it when I was in it. When I was in it, it was all for them. But after the fact, and after having a loving relationship, I realized that I did deserve that and I just never knew what that was so I can't blame myself for navigating through the world with the things that I knew I didn't know what I didn't know and I forgive myself for that too and I thank myself because if I could have continued along that path into God knows what would have happened to me and my children or I could have just been like a 70 year old woman who never lived her life and kind of lived on this teetering edge of adrenaline pumping through her system every day, I wouldn't have made it to 70. You know what I mean? It wasn't a healthy lifestyle. So I'm thankful that she took that step, Joanna, in the past. Um, And what I think about divorce now is it's good for some people. And I think that we, as a society, especially in abusive relationships, women just stayed because they couldn't open a bank account You couldn't get a mortgage as a single female until like the seventies or something like that, the sixties or the seventies. So like the previous generation, I wouldn't have been able to buy my own house for my children and my dogs. So no wonder no one was getting divorced. What would you do? You'd just be out on your own without a house, living in a car. No wonder why they didn't do that. And I think that it's powerful for people to leave relationships when they're unhealthy. And I think if you learn what to do in a healthy way, and you could teach your children what to do in a healthy way, you're teaching them good things. I know a lot of people say that like divorce, divorce really causes kids a lot of trauma. And I know it does in a way, but it depends what kind of relationship and what household you're leaving. So it's unfair to say that. It also causes a lot of trauma for you to live together in a dysfunctional household. And it also causes kids to leave and not be able to navigate the world. So I think that studies only give you part of the picture, which is, I mean, you can't expect studies to show you everything. But I do think that looking at divorce now, I think it's a really good thing to be able to leave negative situations. And if one person's willing to do the work and one person isn't willing to do the work, then they're not compatible.
0: Thank you for sharing <laughs> all of that. I, that last point you say about, about studies saying like divorce you know imparts a lot of trauma like of course it does but like you said like but like what is it what is it being compared to right like yes yes it's gonna but so does moving houses and so does introducing a new sibling into a family and all of like almost every every big life change is going to impart some sort of trauma but like you said like what is considered normal then like is it normal to be in a dysfunctional household and like what's the trauma from that and that is that is something that we have to understand is like when we're um when we're facing like this 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 information out there of what divorce means and Mm -hmm. what has actually fed us that narrative and continues to feed that narrative it's like a bunch of people running studies who are unhappily married maybe (laughs) i don't know
1: (laughs) And who knows what the population samples are? Like if you're working with people, like if you're looking at a household that functions properly and you're looking at a household that doesn't function properly or one that functions properly versus a divorced one that functions properly. So like, it's just difficult to meet all the parameters.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's like that definitely shouldn't be a reason why you should not get divorced Mm -hmm. is not to impart trauma on your kids. I think that's a...
1: And it's also strange to see. So when I left, my daughter was three and my son was one. And it's it's um, interesting to see both of the impacts it has on them because my son only, I think, has implicit memory, right, from being a one-year-old. He doesn't have a lot of the, like, like his, his brain function just didn't include being able to hard store certain memories. We don't remember things from when we're one years old because. <laughs> but my daughter remembers things that happens and remembers being scared, and she has more of, like, anxiety And she sees a therapist to like work on some of like working through her feelings, but she gets scared and then she doesn't know how to talk about it. And like, so she has different issues. Whereas I can tell that my son has some sort of issues from it, but he's more like, it just is like an instinct to him. Like he doesn't have the feelings and the words to kind of describe them. Whereas when she, he's four now, when she was four, she would say things like, um, daddy yells at mommy all the time and it's scary. Like he never had those memories. Or like, I remember when he was like, when we first got divorced, he had supervised visitation for eight months because he was kind of on a downward mental spiral for a while, um, which I don't really know that much as James, um, but uh, she would go to like my aunt's house and say things to him like maybe you could stop yelling at mom and we can live together again. And that's that was her like three and four year olds mind processing what was happening without me saying anything to her without like him saying anything to her like that was just how she thought about it which to me seems amazing whereas my son was just kind of toddling around having no idea that that was the problem. Like even now he's like you lived with dad what I can't believe that. He'll like, give me something and he'll say, this is from dad's house. And I'm like, okay. He's like, well, you don't know my dad. I'm like, "Eh, I kind of know your dad. (laughs) 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 You have no memory of that.
0: Oh, that is so interesting. I, I love just hearing this transformation and I think that what like your story is just really powerful to me and learning about it and Um, And I know that, you know, something that, something else we share is that we're both writers and you you said you're writing a memoir. Like how has writing played a role? Writing
1: has been transformational. I would, I went to school for finance, so I work for a communications company, but I was never a writer until I'd say like three or four years ago, right before my life started getting really messy. And my boss would always call me a writer. And I'm like, I'm not a writer. He's like, you are like, you write. And I'm like, that, 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 doesn't, that doesn't mean I'm a writer. And he's like, well, what, Like, define it. And it, we always <laughs> have this back and forth dialogue. And I would say probably about two years ago, I was like, all right, I think I am a writer. I will call myself a writer because I do a weekly blog. I'm published in another publication that um, Biz Catalyst 360, which has also been a really powerful um, force for me. But I feel like writing gets my feelings out And having like a following of, again, people that I respect, people that are like business people that can read my story and connect with me. And it's just so powerful to know that so many other people have similar situations, worse situations, but like better situations, but like read my words and are able to feel comfort in them and are able to um, feel like a camaraderie. Like I've made friends with people all over the world through Biz Catalyst 360, maybe mainly um, that I never would have met if I didn't decide to write. And it's funny too, when I look back on certain pieces that I wrote in those timeframes, like I was subconsciously telling myself things that I never realized. Like I wrote one piece about tone and how tone is important and like how you speak to people matters. And that was when I was like getting like verbally, like accosted every other day. Like, and I was writing that about my dog, but in reality, I was probably just trying to get those feelings out in a safe way. Um, And it also helps me like to... um, explore a lot of the books that I read I read a lot so when I do I try to like find different quotes that I like and then I can write a whole piece on one tiny little piece of somebody else's world and it just makes it um makes me feel connected to the world in a way that I don't think I ever would have had if I didn't learn how to put my thoughts on paper and the book helped me that's another thing but it's a memoir about that scary time frame I have about like 45,000 words so I'm getting closer to the end but at first it was really cathartic to like get it all out there. And then as time goes on, I want to change it because at first I was ready to, to, to have this feeling of like, I'm right. Cause even like in divorce, you lose a lot of friends. That's something I didn't really talk about too much. There were a lot of people that said that I was lying and that I was trying to keep my kids away from him. He's such a nice guy. He would never do those things. He's just, and I lost a lot of friends, a lot, a lot of friends for that. And that hurt. And it, and sometimes it would make me second guess my experience because they didn't know they weren't living there. So there's no way that they could know. But they were listening to his story and his story was the only truth that they knew. And it took me a while to realize I didn't care what other people said. Like at first I really did. So first when I started writing the book, it was more to like get my story out there to prove that I, ha- I had the right to have my story. And now I'm doing it and I feel a lot more compassionate towards him, especially as of late, because I feel like He lives his life in like a trauma wonderland. Like he had a traumatic childhood. He went to Afghanistan. That was traumatic for him because he was in like an IED explosion. He's like shot grenade launcher missiles into villages and probably killed people. Like, so he has a lot of trauma that has affected him. He has a traumatic brain injury from one of the accidents he was in. So he's not functioning with a full set of, a full set, his, his whole brain is not functioning the way that it could. So as time goes by, I do realize that there is more compassion. Like, I don't blame him for the things that he did. I just kind of know it was his innate reaction to life. I still know that I don't deserve that. And I would never, like, run back towards that. That's not what I want for my life. But I do feel more compassion towards it. So I think knowing all of those things, I would, like, go back and I, like, read it again. And I want to write it with that as my lens. Like, this is my story. I'm not blaming anybody for it. Um, But I survived you can survive. And I want other people to read it and realize that they deserve more if they want more, which is a different angle than what I originally started. With. So transformative in and of
0: itself. I was going to say, it's almost like what we were talking about earlier. You kind of have to go through that, th- throwing everything onto paper or screen or whatever, and then you kind of can process it to the point where you're like, okay, now I've actually come to yeah. this.
1: Yeah, it's more about now it's more my story as opposed to the story of the things that happened around me. Mm.
0: That's a big and distinction.
1: There was, I mean, at the time that I left, I was 106 pounds. I was in the hospital for like um, high blood pressure. My blood pressure was through the roof. I couldn't gain any weight. Like it was, it was, a, my body was telling me enough was enough. So I like to say that it just landed at a certain point, but my body was done. Like I couldn't sustain lifestyle for much longer so i when i did leave i could look back at that too and i weigh like 150 pounds and i'm like yeah keep packing on the pounds (laughs) i have the total opposite view because it was scary being that skinny and not being able to gain weight and wondering was it my thyroid is it this i'd have all these tests done and they're like can't find anything wrong with you and i'm like what is (laughs) hindsight you hindsight is everything. Yeah, you can't you can't physically live with that much stress and cortisol pumping through your veins and living on eggshells. You can't live without safety, connection, and attunement. You just can't.
0: Beautiful. I think that's a wonderful place to end the conversation. Yeah. Um, I'm so grateful <laughs> to have heard your story and to know about it more in depth because I, you know, I've read some of your work and then tangentially have. We've had kind of passing conversations here and there. Um, I'm so appreciative. Is there, I don't know, one final thought you'd like to share with the listener around this, any of the topics actually that we talked about?
1: You're worth it. You're worth it. Figuring out what makes you tick, why it makes you tick, how it makes you tick. And if you want it to make you tick, delve into that and find out what really, makes your heart sing, because you're worth it, you're the only you that you got.
0: Beautiful, um, if folks want to somehow get in touch with you,
1: or find you, your writing, where can they find you? Um, so there is, um, O'Brien Communications Group is the company I work for, so O'BrienCG.com is my website um, for the company, all my contact information is on the contact page there, um, our blog is up, so I do a weekly blog post on there, if anyone wants to take a look, And then Biz Catalyst 360, if you Google that and Joanna Bennett, um, my author page will come up and there are stories galore. I mean, I have really in-depth conversations, um, I guess not conversations, but essays about the family court system, about domestic violence, um, also just about like being a mom. And my latest is um, trying to learn more about my family. So I've been writing pieces on my grandparents and doing little interviews with my family to find out what their lifestyles were like and kind of write their stories. So when my kids are older, they'll have a little bit more information about their family. Beautiful.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much for joining and agreeing to be on the podcast. And I'm just so grateful.
1: Thank you. I appreciate having the opportunity and I'm grateful that we've reconnected again. Thank you for tuning
0: in today. Living an inspired life is a worthy endeavor. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Be sure to subscribe in your preferred podcast player for future real conversations. And if any part of this episode made you think of a friend, let them know that they aren't alone in their journey and share all the things with them. If you'd like to stay in touch, hop on over to lisaforreal.com and sign up for my daily blogs or find me on Instagram at reclaimingmotherhood. See you next time.